Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. We are starting a brand new series uh, this month called Heroes and Villains. All right, it's really exciting. We're going to be uh, just talking about some, maybe some stories that are, are familiar, but looking at some of the heroes uh, from the, the Old Testament specifically. Uh, next week, uh, Aaron's coming to talk about Daniel, and then Anthony's going to be here the week after, week after that, or the week after the week after that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's going to be talking about Jehu. And I had to Google that one, but it's, it's, it's an Old Testament guy, so it's in there. So that's going to be real good. <laughs> Anthony is amazing. So invite your friends to, to come to, to all of these uh, teachings. They're going to be really, really good. But I get to kick it off, and we're going to be talking about David and Goliath, right? Some classic uh, heroes from, or hero and a villain from the Old Testament. And we're going to be looking at this story today through the lens of identity and the lens of purpose. Trying to answer this question, or we're going to look at how David answered the question, who am I? You know, uh, what am I here for? Do I have what it takes? And as a person, myself, who has struggled with insecurity, often I have answered this question as it rumbles around in my brain you know, uh, periodically, I answer the question, you know, I'm nobody. I don't have anything to offer. You know, whatever. And I don't know if you guys remember in 2015, that was last year, um, I think it was the second trailer. There was a teaser. I think it, well, it depends on how you count it. It was the first trailer or the second, if you count the teaser as a trailer, of Star Wars The Force Awakens. And in the, in the trailer, you see uh, uh, this great camera shot in Rey, who is the, the female heroine of the story, and BB-8, this little round droid, are walking through the desert in the, uh, in, into, the, into the sunset. And BB-8 kind of twiddles this little droid thing, just burp, 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 burp. And, and Rey looks down at him and she says, Who am I? I'm nobody. Right? And, and as I saw that, I was just drawn into this story. Right? Not because I am a girl who lives on a desert planet that scavenges old imperial wreckage just to make it through the day. That's not what drew me in. But what drew me in was that here is a, a person who's supposed to be the hero of the story, and yet she sees herself as a nobody. Right? And I often feel like I'm supposed to be doing something. I'm supposed to be important. I have a, a role to play, and yet I feel like nobody. And what we're going to look at real quick here is that the enemy, from the very beginning, has been attacking identity in people's lives in an effort to thwart God's purposes in the world. Right? The enemy has been attacking identity in an effort to thwart God's purposes since the beginning of creation. Right? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, this is the, the fall uh, of humanity when sin enters into the, into the world. And the, the serpent is, uh, is tempting Eve, trying to convince her to turn her back on God. And he says this in verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, the forbidden fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Right? And so the serpent here is saying to Eve, you aren't good enough. Right? What you have isn't enough. God is withholding from you 
And if you do this, if you eat from this forbidden tree, you will be like God, right? Then you will be able to reach your potential because God is holding you back, all right? He's keeping this good thing from you. And we see in this story that certainly the the devil hates Adam and Eve. The devil hates humanity. But I want to say that his purposes are ultimately to thwart the purposes of God, right? The enemy, Satan, not only wants to destroy us, but wants to destroy and stop the purposes of God in the world. Because as we look through the scriptures, we see that there is a cosmic war being battled, right? That there are forces of good, which would be the forces of God, which, and he is trying to bring victory and hope and peace into the world, in life, in freedom into the world, right? And Satan wants to bring death and destruction and corruption, and so in order to thwart God's purposes, right, Eve was important, right? Eve had been created uh, with Adam. Adam and Eve had been created to be co-regents, to, co, uh, to co-rule with God the, the entire world. They had been given this cultural mandate to go and to be fruitful and to, to create culture and to do all these things in order to bring glory to God. Right? The purpose of Adam and Eve, they had this role to play, but the, what they ultimately were trying to do and were supposed to do was bring glory to God through being fruitful and through the cultural mandate. All right? And the enemy, the, the serpent, the devil wanted to stop that, and so he, he comes and he starts lying and drawing Eve away from God. And he tells her that if she wants to be happy, if she wants to be fulfilled, if she wants to reach her potential, then she needs something more than what God has given her. And we see him moving her away from a God-centered, focused life that brings glory to God and brings fulfillment to her and brings fulfillment to humanity, right, to a self-centered focus, to saying, I need to get my needs met first. I need, this is my story, right? I am the hero. And really, we are just players in God's story, all right? And we're going to see that David understands this. He understands that life is not ultimately about him, but is about God. And that we must learn to answer these questions of identity and purpose as we relate rightly to God. Right? It is as we come under a relationship and under submission to God, bringing glory to him through our lives, that we find fulfillment. And I'm going to show my reformed roots here by reading from the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, and I love, I love this. All right? The Heidelberg Catechism question and answer number one is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? All right? And our only comfort, the Heidelberg Catechism, does not go on to say, how many Twitter followers do you have? Right? It doesn't say, how many likes you get on your most recent Facebook post? Though I must admit, I checked my Facebook a lot after I posted those men's group. Like, oh, Amber likes it. Oh, Cameron hasn't liked it yet? That's weird. What's going on? Uh, you know, but that is not where we find our fulfillment. That's not where we find our, our joy and our peace, right? Our joy and our peace, our only comfort in life and death is not that we have the, the best job or the best car or the, you know, that we have the, the prettiest spouse or the, the nicest house or whatever it is, whatever we decide that oh, we need this thing in order for us to be happy. No, the Heidelberg Catechism says that our only comfort in life and in death, is that I am not my own. That I'm not my own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, 
who has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. And he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. That is significant, right? It is countercultural, right? That's not what people say. That's not what the TV or the movies or the musics or the radios, <laughs> that's not what they're saying. They're not saying, you're not your own. You know, they're saying, you are your own. You get to decide what you are and what your value is and what is important to you. But the, you know, that you deserve the best, that it's all about you. And we almost always, and I have struggled with this, and I don't know anybody that hasn't, right, that we think that the world, that the universe somehow revolves around us. And here's the reality, that's not true, all right? The world does not revolve around you. The world revolves around God. And when we want to find ultimate fulfillment, ultimate joy, ultimate peace, it's in right relationship and submission to God the Father. And of course, this doesn't mean that our happiness and our joy and our peace, you know, is not important to God. It obviously is, right? We see in the creation story that God saw Adam was, was alone. He said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. So he creates Eve and brings them together. And he says, now this is very good, right? And he plants them. He puts them in, in the garden. He says, every tree here, all that you can see is for your enjoyment, God wants us fulfilled. God wants us to live abundant, full lives. But it's only when we are in right relationship with God, in submission to him, living for his glory. Okay? And so, kind of my, the, my main thrust, this is the big idea of the teaching today, is that when we begin to question who we are, right, when we doubt our place, when we believe that life is about fulfilling our own purposes and it's about fulfilling our own desires, it will lead to ineffective lives for God's purposes and it ultimately will leave a person unfulfilled and continually longing to answer that question, who am I? Where do I fit? And what am I here for? Right? And it's, it's amazing that, and there's this great quote by, by Jim Carrey. Anybody, Jim Carrey, anybody? He's a... I mean, is he the world's greatest actor? He's right up there. He's so good. Ace Ventura? I mean, it just moves your heart. No, just kidding. No, just kidding. So Jim Carrey, and so regardless of what you think about Jim Carrey, there is a, a season of his career where he had risen pretty high. He was making blockbuster movies. They were paying him millions and millions and millions of dollars to do what he was passionate about. And he said this to a reporter. He said, um, he said I hope that everybody can reach, reach uh, this is, a, this is as best I can remember. I hope everybody reaches their dreams and fulfills all of, of their hopes because that, so that they can see once they achieve their dreams that it's not worth it, that it's not fulfilling, that it's not the answer, right? He was at the top of his craft and he got to this place, he climbed up here and now he's this superstar and he realizes, I still feel empty. I still feel this lack in my life, right? And as Christ followers, we would say it's because you don't have a relationship with the Father, right? If you were in relationship with the Father, you could enter into your destiny in the fullness and you could be satisfied because through your acting or through your whatever, you are bringing glory to God. You are in right relationship with God the Father. Okay, to, that intro was long. <laughs> so let's get to David and Goliath. 
All right, I'm going to encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel 17. We're going to be reading passages uh, from this story um, as we move through this. Uh, And we're going to start in... ah, I should have got the wireless microphone. That's okay. So in 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 1... Uh, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes, Damim, between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. All right, and so we see the Israelites are standing on, on one hill, and this is a picture of uh, current day, the Valley of Elah, where this story took place. And the Israelites, who are God's people, God's army, uh, in God's land that he had promised to his people, are standing on one hill. And the Philistines, who are the enemies of God, who are the, the people that the Israelites were supposed to uh uh, removed from the land, uh, one of the peoples that they were supposed to remove from the land, is standing on the other. And so the Philistines, they want this land, right? They, they want this land that is promised to God. And what is significant here is not just that this story is about a little guy named David and a big guy named Goliath who came and fought each other. And it was this great story because the little guy beat the big guy. Now, I think what is significant about this story, uh, in part, is that this is... Uh, the enemy of God trying to thwart his purposes, right? This was the land that God promised to Abraham. This was the land that was flowing with milk and honey. This is the land that God told Abraham, you're going to inhabit this land, and in it, you're, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you great many nations. And from you, from your descendants, I am going to bless the entire world from this land. Right? And so in God's purposes, he wants his people in his land. And so this is a fight for God's purposes. Does that make sense? Yes. Great. Thank you. And every day, Goliath, this Philistine champion, comes out and defies the Israelites and defies God. All right? And this guy stands nine foot nine inches tall. I don't know how, how tall are these ceilings, Luke. He doesn't know. About that tall. And he was real tall. So he's taller than the ceiling. He'd have to hunch over in here. So there you go. Um, so, so this Philistine giant comes out, and he is defying the, the Israelite army. In verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you, and you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. The Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. All right? There he is. So we, so this giant comes out and defies the, the Israelite armies, and we see the, these Philistines trying to thwart the purposes of God. And as he comes out and says, Some, send somebody to, to fight me, I'll defeat him, Saul and all the Israelites are scared, and they're terrified, and every time he appears, they run away. And what we see here is that Saul, who certainly should have known better, and all of the Israelites, who also should have known better, had forgotten and abandoned the covenant promises of God. If we look back 
in Exodus 23, God says to the Israelites, if you listen carefully to what uh, this angel says and do all that I say, I will oppose those who oppose you. That's what God told the Israelites, right? And then in Deuteronomy, this is a, a, a long sermon or a long teaching that Moses gave to the Israelites before he died and before they went to take the promised land. He tells them, he says, at that time I commanded Joshua, who you have seen with your own eyes, all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. They just defeated these two kings. And the Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there on the other side of the Jordan where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Right? This is the land God wants the, the Israelites to be in. He is going to fight for them. Right? And then at the, uh, near the end of Deuteronomy in chapter 20, Moses again says, When you go to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots in an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them, because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, Israel! Today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. All right? That's a lot of Old Testament real quick. But basically the idea is that God over and over again tells the Israelites, this is what I want you to do. Don't be afraid of these giants. Don't be afraid of the greater forces because I am going to fight for you. Just like I got you out of Egypt. Remember remember the, the, the plagues? Remember the Red Sea? Remember how I provided for you all the way through the wilderness? I am going to do the same thing as we go into this promised land. And Saul certainly should have known better because just a couple chapters before this, God had miraculously delivered uh, an, an army, Saul's army that was 600 against 3,000 uh, Philistines with chariots and horses and, and swords and through a... Uh, the, some actions by his son Jonathan and a, uh, a uh, what's that? Uh, earthquake. The, the Philistines were terrified and the Israelite, the 600 were able, able to, to push back the Philistines. He had just seen this happen. Right? And yet here he is standing against another uh, imposing army and all he can see is the natural. All he can see is there's this giant guy that has this huge uh, spear and all this armor, and there's no way we can defeat this. So he just runs away every single time uh, Goliath comes out. And so into this scene, in comes David. And David had just the chapter before been anointed by Samuel to uh, take the, the throne uh, after, after Saul, uh, Saul messed up in that battle a couple chapters ago, and the the uh, the kingship or the, his successors were no longer going to be on the king, and they they on the throne and they anointed David. Ooh. So David's just this young guy. He's been he's the youngest son in his family. He's just a little shepherd guy, and he's been anointed the successor of the throne. And but he's still out shepherding. And his father sends him in. He says, "Go see the army. Go see your brothers are fighting. Go see how things are going." Right? And so he leaves his, his sheep in, in the field and he comes. And as he comes into the, uh, the battle place, the camp, the enemy camp, sorry. Woo, hello. Uh, as he comes into to the camp, he hears uh, Goliath shouting his defiance in 1723. And so it, when he hears Goliath say, send someone out to fight me, I defy the, the armies of God, David questions Goliath's identity. 
right? He's like, who does this guy think he is? What is, what is he doing? He's defying God's army? No, that doesn't happen, right? I, I'll fight that guy. If nobody else is willing to do it, I'll fight it. All right, and then his older brother Eliab turns up. And his older brother uh, is angry in, in, this, in this story. And he, maybe he's still upset because his little brother got anointed to be king. right? And so Eliab is upset and he says, Why have you come here? And whom, and whom did you leave with your couple of sheep? You are conceited and wicked and have just come to watch the battle. Right? And so we see Eliab is attacking David's identity. telling him, You shouldn't be here. Right? You don't deserve to be here. You are a poser. Right? You are an imposter. And that would have been challenging. That would have been hard to hear. This is my older brother. Maybe he's right. You know, I'm just a shepherd. Right? And when I started uh, seminary a, a couple years ago, we had an orientation. And uh, so we go to this orientation. We kind of meet some other students, and we do orientation things. And we have lunch together, and so I sit down at a table with four or five other new students, and Dr. Hilber, who is the uh, professor of Old Testament theology there at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. And we're sitting down, eating lunch, and these, him and these other students are having the most intellectual conversation. I think it was something about the state of Israel and the end times, and I had no idea. And I was just sitting there listening to my other prospective students and this guy, and I was like, I don't have anything to offer to this conversation. Not quite sure what they're even talking about. I don't, you know, what is going on here? And I started asking myself these questions. What am I doing here? You know, know, I, I don't belong here. These people are so far beyond me. This is way beyond my level. You know, maybe I should just get out of here before this costs me a bunch of money and I make myself look like a fool, right? And that was a tough day. And it forced me to question, you know, is this really what God has called me into? Did I hear correctly that this is the path that I'm supposed to take? And it caused me to kind of stop and question and doubt and worry. But we see David doesn't even skip a beat. Right? He's not worried about his brother's negativity. He is more concerned about God's honor. And he's not even thinking about himself. He's like, this is where I'm at. That guy's defying God. Let's go. Let's bring it. And so suddenly Saul hears about this young, this young man who says, I'll go fight uh, the, the Philistine champion. I'll go fight Goliath. And in verse 32, David says to Saul, don't worry, king. I will take care of this Philistine. I will go and fight him. Right? And Saul says to him, what are you talking about, Dave? <laughs> are you kidding me? You can't fight him. You're just a kid. Right? And Goliath has been a warrior from his youth. And again, we see an attack on David's identity. He's just a kid. He doesn't have what it takes. He, the, the Goliath is better than you are ever going to be, David. Right? And this attack may have done me in. Right? Like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I don't have what it takes. Maybe I'm just fooling myself, you know. And and here it is, the king, the king, the most important man in Israel telling you, you don't have what it takes. You know, imagine if I'm sitting there at seminary at this table and Dr. Hilbert turns around at me and goes, Mark, what what do you think about, uh, you know, the the state of Israel? And I was like, he'd be like, what are you doing here? 
Like, you got to get out of here. Like, you don't, you don't deserve to be in this place. Like, I don't know if I would have been able to stand up and go, no, this is why God has called me to be in this place. I probably would have been just like, all right, see you. You know, all right, you know, I'm going back to, going back to Fox Brothers, whatever, you know. And, uh, but David, uh, again, holds his own uh, against the king, right? And in verse 34, uh, this might be my favorite part of the story, right? After Saul is like, you can't fight him. He's too good. In verse 34, David says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear, uh, when a lion, sorry, when a lion or a bear come, came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Wow. That is amazing. So good. I fought a lion, I fought a bear, and God rescued me from them, and he will rescue me from this Philistine. Right? And David trusts, we can see, it doesn't say this specifically, but we can see by his confidence, we can see uh, implied in his words that he is trusting in the covenant promises of God to protect Israel and defeat her enemies. Right? We can see that he believes that God has prepared him and anointed him. And he, has, he chooses to put his faith and his trust in God. Not in his natural abilities, even though he knows that God has been preparing him for this battle since his youth. Well, he was still youth. For years, he had been preparing him for this battle, right? He knew who he was. He knew what God had prepared him to do. He had seen God's faithfulness, and he knew that God would continue to be faithful. And so the question that we ask here is, what is God preparing you for? Right? Where are you at? And what are you going through that seems like maybe foolishness or may, seems like it's unimportant? But what are you learning that God is preparing you for your future destiny? You know, when I started at, uh, so when I, after I got married, we had Emma, and she was just little, and Little Caesars wasn't paying the bills anymore. And so I left Little Caesars and started uh, working at a place called Narandex. And Narandex was a building supply house like Fox Brothers, just a different company. And when I started, I was the roofing uh, delivery driver, right? And so I got my CDL Class B with air brakes license, and I got in this great big truck with the conveyor belt, boom thing on it, and I had my sweet uniform as these nice blue polyester pants and my blue shirt that said Narandex on this side and Mark on this side, and I was looking real good, you know? And they and they, they trained me. I was... I passed my test to get this license, and so they put me in the truck, and they're like, this is the job site, go on. And so I get to the job site, back the truck in in front of people, which I didn't even back up my car. Like, I drove a Ford Escort. I didn't even like backing my car up, right? And now I'm in this 23-foot car, uh, uh, diesel with air brakes, and i got to back it in front of these guys. They're just standing on the roof staring at me, right? And I'm just like, oh, Lord. And so I, I, I get it kind of finagled in there. I, I put the, the boom up over there, and I've got 100 bundles of shingles on a, on a skid uh, on the truck. And each of those bundles weighs, I don't know, 85 pounds or something, right? And I was a 
a pizza guy, right? I made pizzas, and so I wasn't used to carrying bundles of shingles. And so I picked the first one up, and it's, it's just kind of flopping around, and I don't know what I'm doing. It's like this giant, heavy, dead fish that's just flopping around. And I kind of get it up, and I kind of flop it up on the conveyor belt, and I do that a couple times, and I am dead. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And you know, and I'm breaking the bundles open. You know, the guys up top, they're not happy. And I'm look down. I'm like, all right, that's three. There's 97 left. I'm like, oh man. And and these guys, and these guys want to get to work, right? Construction site guys, they want to get their job done so they can move along. They don't want to be waiting on the 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 delivery driver. And so I'm like, all right, Mark, you can do this. And just one at a time. Oh, and it was it was like 90-some degrees. In the middle of the summer, it was the worst, right? And I'm just over and over and over again. And eventually, what seemed like an eternity later, the skid is empty. I am drenched in sweat. I am dirty. You know, I am exhausted. But then I, I looked at that, and I was like, hey, Mark, you just did it. You know what? You did it, right? You know, you I didn't think I could do that. I didn't think I had it in me to make this happen. But I I dug down and I did it, and, and I realized at that moment and some other things that happened as I stepped into this new job that, man, I, maybe I have more in me than I thought I did. Right? I have more strength than I thought I did. Right? And so I, I learned some confidence there. Right? And so I, in, in ministry, I, Cameron rarely makes me carry heavy things around the church. That's very rare. But he does periodically ask me to do something that I have no idea what to do. Right? A couple of years ago, Mark, we want you to lead the youth ministry. I was like, all right, let's do it. I had no idea what I was doing, right? But I did it, and we figured it out, you know? And it's just like, yo, know, I just, I learned a confidence on that job that I have more in me than I thought, right? And, and other things, I don't have time. I definitely don't have time to tell any more stories. Um, so what is God preparing you for? And just remember that wherever you are right now, you can learn and are able to, to learn skills and abilities that God will use in your future, right? And he's preparing you for your ultimate destiny, you know? And even now, I'm in my dream job. I am loving this, but I know that God is still preparing me for something that he has for me in the future. All right, so David says, er, he's like, I can't, I, uh, I, I'm going to go fight him. God has done some stuff. <laughs> Sorry. God's done some <laughs> All right, verse 38. <laughs> so Saul's like, "All right, David, you can you can go fight you can go fight Goliath, but I need you here. I got I got some sweet armor for you to wear." Right? And so again, we see that uh, I'm not going to take the time to read the scripture. You can read all of chapter 17. It's really good. Uh, and so we see again that there's an attack on David's identity, right? Saul tries to tell David, all right, you can go fight him, but what you are isn't good enough. Why don't you, here, put on this armor. You're going to need a sword, right? You need to be more like me. You need to be a warrior, right? And this kind of harkens back to, remember, uh, in, at the, the beginning in Eve, uh, was being tempted by the serpent. He's like, "What?" She, the serpent's like, what you are isn't good enough. You need something else. You need to be like God if you're going to fulfill your potential. All right? And so we see Saul doing the same thing. And he, he puts this armor on to David. And, he's, and David's like, well, I can't, I can't wear this. You know, I, I can't go in these. I'm not used to this, right? God has prepared me for this, but I wasn't wearing armor and a sword, right? I, had a, I just had my sling and my stick, uh, staff. And, and so he's like, I can't go like this. 
And, and what, we, what we see here is that we cannot, when we are trying to fulfill God's purposes through our role, right, that we can't try to be somebody else. We need to be who God has made us to be. Right? And we can't listen to the lies that if we want to be successful or we want to do something significant, then we need to be like this or we need to look like that or we need to emulate this other person. Right? You don't need to try to be someone else because God made you on purpose. Right? God made you perfect. And in Psalm 139 it says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? He's made you perfect. He's given you gifts and abilities and skills. And he gives to every person a spiritual gift and something to offer to the church. And, and Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 12. There are some people like, oh, you know, I'm not as good as this person or I'm not as good as that person. And Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You see, you're not a mistake. You're not less than anybody else, but you are unique, right? And you are placed on purpose in the place where you are. You don't need to be like someone else in order to fulfill what God has called you to do. And in fact, I think that in order to find our ultimate fulfillment and to find our ultimate purpose in God's, in, in God's story, we need to be ourselves. Right? Because, uh, and I, I think that if we try to be somebody else, we are going to miss it. We need to remember that God knit us together on purpose in our mother's womb. All right, closing quickly. David runs out to, to face Goliath, right? And he's shed the armor. He's got his sling. He's got his five stones. He's got his staff. And Goliath looks at him and says, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David. Come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. What happens again? An attack on David's identity. And Goliath says, you little punk. Are you going to come and poke me with your stick? You know, you know, it's like, you aren't prepared to face me. He says, you are dead meat. I'm going to serve you and all of your army to the wild beasts, he says. And I might have been swayed at this moment at this moment, as I'm running out at this nine-foot-tall guy. I'm like, yeah, he might be right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty much dead meat here, right? And yet we see David, again, unlike me in my natural, right, is confident in himself. He is confident in his, who God has made him, called him, and positioned him to be. And on top of his confidence in his own self and his own abilities, he is confident in God in the covenant promises of God to fulfill his purposes in the world. And so as we read this story, we see that it's not just a story of a little guy defeating a big guy, right? And that's what culture has turned this story into. But this is a story of faith. It's a story of faith. And in verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give your carcasses and the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Wow! That is amazing. David's purpose, we see it, is not to bring himself glory. He, 
His purpose is to bring glory to God, to fulfill the covenant promises of God, or to, to be the tool that God uses to, f- to fulfill his covenant promises in the world, to bring his restoration into the world. And so as we read through this story, as we looked at David, we see that he understood three things, three things incredibly clearly. Oh, there's some more, one more picture. David understands three things. His identity, his purpose, and his faith. And he realizes that his identity was not as the hero of his own story. Right? But God had put him in this place on purpose and prepared him to face Goliath. He was here. He was God's chosen son. He knew who he was. And he knew his purpose. His purpose was not to fulfill his own desires and claw his way up to this throne that he had been promised, right? But he was willing to lay his life down to, to, uh, to bring God glory and to fulfill God's redemptive purposes on the earth. And finally, we see that ultimately his faith was not in himself, but, but the promises and the trustworthiness of God. David was God-centered, God-focused all most of his life, right? He knew his identity. He knew his purpose. He knew his faith. And that is what we need to take away from this story, right? Each one of us may struggle with insecurity. Each one of us may struggle with doubt and fear. We may wonder, how do we fit into this story? What am I doing here? But when we understand that we are here to bring glory to God, that as the Heidelberg Catechism says, we are not our own, but belong body and soul to God the Father and Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. That is where we find our identity. That is where we find our purpose. And we can put our faith in a trustworthy God. And so, would you stand with me as we close? You know we're getting close to the end when I say, will you stand? So, so I just want to ask you a question as we just close our eyes. You know, what is the Goliath in your life right now? You know, what is causing you to question your identity? What is causing you to question your purpose? Or is causing you to question your faith in God? Where is there anxiety or fear, worry or doubt? And so, God, would you just come and reveal the Goliath in our life right now? And I think some of you might know in a split second exactly what that is. And some of you may have pushed that Goliath away or run away from that Goliath so many times that you're numb to it or you forgot it. We just ask God that you would just remind us that right now. Thank you, Father. And so if you can kind of picture that thing, that person, that situation... In that issue in your mind's eye, I just encourage you just to offer that to God right now. And I'm just going to pray, pray over you and just encourage you to agree in prayer with me. Father God, I choose to trust you right now in the face of this Goliath. I confess that I have doubted you, doubted your gifts and abilities that you've given me doubted your faithfulness, doubted that you have a good plan and a purpose for my life. And I repent for believing these lies. And I ask you to replace these lies with your truth.
And Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you that each one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you that you did not make a mistake when you put me together, when you put me in this place, when you put me in this position. And I thank you that you have prepared me for this Goliath in my life that is before me. And Lord, help me to remember that I am a player in your story and that my goal, my purpose, my longing is to bring you glory. Yeah. In your name we pray. Amen.